What's up? We are here. We are back. I know you missed us last week and we apologize. We've had some scheduling problems. Cam had surgery and then people were out of town for stuff and we didn't do a good job of planning. (laughs) So we're here and we actually have a fun co-host because once again, schedules didn't line up the way we thought they were going to. But fun story, I didn't even talk about this. I have my other brother-in-law, Clint Curtis, who's here. He'll be a guest here in the very near future, but he married my sister. He actually is the one who named the podcast. So I was, we were with Clint and my sister. We were coming home from a wedding, and I was telling them about this idea of a podcast. In fact, we'd already done the first episodes with Cam and I. And we didn't even have a name yet. So if you notice in the first two episodes, we don't have a name to the podcast because we just recorded it without a name. And I was telling Clint about it. And first thing out of his mouth was, you should name it Nitty Gritty. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So we have the person who named the podcast, Clint. He's here as the co-host. And we have one of my selfishly most fun guests, Kyle Nielsen. You'll know him on Instagram as the great elbow, or if you ever watch the jazz games, he's buddy, the elf that goes to all the jazz games, but he's got a fascinating story about his house burned down entrepreneurship. He's into sneakers. He's into jazz, supercars giving back. I mean, it is literally kind of touches about everything. And we had a really fun conversation. All the stuff was talked about. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you, as always, for listening and enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome back, Nitty Gritty. We have two special guests with us today. We have an hermano de sangre because Cam is not with us, and so I had to replace him with another family member. And you're going to get to know him better because you're going to be a guest soon, but yes. not yet. So we're just going to tease that. But Clint, also the provider of many guests recently. So thanks for being here. I'm willing to open up all of my network to you. It's part of the law of consecration. You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But we have Kyle Nielsen with us. We have sales rep, supercar, NBA fan, sneaker king. I mean, the list just kind of goes on and on. This is going to be fun. So thanks for being here, dude. No problem. Thanks for dealing with my crazy schedule and finally getting me in. (laughs) Is there anything like super cool that you're not into because that was just like the coolest list ever <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get back into pogs are you serious <laughs> no i mean maybe 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 i laughed just because like two days ago i was talking to someone and i was talking to them about like nfts and stuff and yeah. they're like this feels just like pogs i was like oh i haven't heard the word pog in so long and then you brought it up that's really funny yeah so anyways dude thanks for coming we're gonna we've already had the pre-game and we covered it like any Woj bombs coming through right now. It like scratched the itch for jazz. Cause like, if you want to know anything jazz related, this is your dude. So if you, if we get distracted in the middle today is the trade deadline, which means a lot can happen in the NBA world today that we're all very closely paying attention yeah. to. It's what three, 3 PM Eastern is the cutoff three or four. Yeah. yeah. So literally it's right, right in the middle of this podcast. It will be the end, which means there's going to be like a flurry of trades oh, yeah. happening while we're talking. So Anyways, it'll be fun. It's going to be a good time. Um, before we jump into the NBA stuff, I want to kind of hear a little bit more. I know. Oh, other thing. You work with Vess. 
Yeah. So Vess was one of our very first guests way back in the day, Aptive. And so I'd love to hear kind of your story into Aptive. It's, I've heard like bits and pieces it from Vess and other friends before, mm-hmm. but I've never heard like the whole story. Yeah. And so I want to hear kind of where you grew up and kind of what childhood was like and kind of how we got to Aptive. And then we'll kind of go from there. Cool. Yeah. So I, I grew up in San Bernardino, California. Okay. So Southern California, um, a city that I would be happy to not have to go live in, you know, again, <laughs> um, uh, grew up down there. Uh, with, how many, how many siblings? Uh, oh, sorry. Brain fog. Um, <laughs> I have four, four brothers and a sister. So okay. yeah, six total. Got it. Uh, two older brothers, two younger brothers, and then a little sister that came along quite a few years after my younger brother. Okay, so, cool. Uh, big family. Um, did a lot of, you know, outdoor stuff, camping, you know, scouts, church ball, all that kind of stuff yeah. growing up. And, uh, it was, it was fun. Like childhood was, was great. Um, but we really didn't have, have, have a lot of, you know, things when you're six kids living in California. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. Okay. Life What'd your was, dad do? uh, he was a plumber. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Had his own plumbing company at one point, but then didn't want to have to be the boss. And then he got hired on with a bigger construction company as a, as a foreman and, uh, did commercial construction, commercial plumbing. Oh, very cool. Uh, growing up. So I'd spend my summers digging ditches and hanging <laughs> pipes and, you know, all that kind of stuff to earn money for school and scout camp and work. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, perfect the crack. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can definitely, it's still mastered. <laughs> still, still mastered. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely, definitely have the crack on point. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so then I, I, uh, in 2003, um, my house burned down, down in, in Southern California. So like a wildfire came off the mountain, uh, an arson, an arsonist was driving up the, the Canyon, throwing road flares out the window, caught the whole mountain on fire. Like crazy damage was done for like any reason specifically, or just, just wanted to burn crap, just down. wanted to burn stuff down. Um, and so a lot of homes were lost. Our house was one of them. How old were you? Um, I was just right out of high, right out of high school. Okay. Yeah. So just graduated the year before. So what was that like? I mean, were you like in the house? Like, did you see, like, did you know? Yeah. What was so happening? we saw the fire. I, I, I was a film. I wanted to get into film school. I had a little film production company back in high school, um, kind of into junior college and stuff. And so I saw the fire start on the mountain, pulled up my camera, started videotaping and okay. stuff. I think I actually sold the footage to ABC news. Did you um, really? Yeah. They, they bought it off me for a few hundred dollars, um, of the early stages and stuff of everything. And then the police came by and said, Hey, houses down this low, aren't going to burn down. The smoke's getting really bad evacuate, but plan on being back in a day or two, just grab your valuable stuff and okay. come back. And within 15 minutes of us leaving the fire had jumped down and wind had picked up and you know, our stuff was gone. Oh and, my uh, gosh. what was that like? I mean, um, do you was, like? Do you still remember? Yeah. Like, is it something that like is? Yeah, like yeah, right so there. You've right. had the opportunity to answer that question, like that existential question. If your house is going to light on fire, what are the things that you grab before you go? Yeah, I mean, I You've probably done asked my parents because I mean, I grabbed like a few little things, like my videotapes of videos I hadn't edited your yet pogs? and stuff. Pogs burned up, <laughs> Pokemon cards burned up, all the things that are worth money now pretty yeah, much burned dang up. It. Yeah. Um, but.
But uh, I mean, you grab like your tax documents, birth certificates, you know, family photo, photo albums. Like we rescued a lot of that kind of stuff. So like, as you guys were taken out, did you know when you were taken out that it was going to burn down or were no. you still just thinking? No, they just came to an evacuated and said, we're, we're don't, we don't think it's going to come down this far. Okay. Um, smoke's really too thick right now to tell where everything's at, but um, because of the smoke inhalation, we want you. So you we weren't were. packing up then no, thinking not at this all. is the last time we're coming back here. Yeah. Yeah. And then my, my uncle called us about 15 minutes later and like he was crying. He said, I grabbed the garden hose. I saw the house start picking up on fire. Like I tried to get everything out, but you know, tried to put it out, but I couldn't. And, oh my um, and it was that my great grandpa built the house and stuff. And, um, so that was kind of a, a pivotal, like a shifting, a change in my life where yeah. I was like, that was one of those instances where everyone has like something changed. And, and you look back though, and like everything that I, that I lost, like doesn't really matter because of all the things that I've gained and the trajectory that my life was then put on from that. Yeah. Um, has, I has love that perspective. That. So one of my favorite things that I learned from like my coach was like events only have the meanings that we give them. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like, everyone gets to choose the meaning that they attach to yeah. something that happens to them. So you could choose to, you know, to be a victim and say, Hey, woe is me, my house burned down. And it'd be really easy to do that. Like I lost all of this stuff and you know, you choose that path or you can look back and say, okay, that sucked. Where do I go from here? What did I learn from here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the old Rockies, not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you stand back up. You get hit and keep moving forward, (laughs) you know? Oh my gosh. Um, That That was was really good. good. I I try to do some voices. Maybe we'll do some voices on this podcast too. So one Um, thing you really kind of glazed over, I want to touch just a little bit. What was it about film in high school? Like you wanted to have like a film company? Yeah. So I started making, I skateboarded back in high school and I was breaking too many bones, Okay, but I loved like the people I was around in the industry. So I picked up a camera and started filming Okay, um, with my friend Daniel and started making videos for companies and local skate shops and sponsor videos to get people on board with companies and shorties and Volcom and all that kind of stuff. And how did you know how to do that? Didn't. Okay. And, and, and YouTube wasn't around back then either. To yeah. like, this was like 1998, 99, 2000. Yeah. Um, you just learned. Like I, we just read books and, you know, I think I remember having like Adobe Premiere for Dummies, like the, for the yellow and nice. black book, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, and like yeah. goes through step-by-step stuff. Um, what inside of you gave you the confidence to do that? Like, what was it that was, you know, I can figure this out. Um, I don't know. Like I, for me, I just, I've always whatever I decide to do it, typically I find a way to do it. Sure. Like I've, I've been a really big figure it outer, <laughs> yeah. um, with things. And, and obviously if I don't think I can figure it out, then I don't even attempt. I'll, you know, the hire somebody at this point or, you know, have someone else yep. do it. But I mean, video was something that I've always liked and enjoyed going to the movies, worked at a movie theater through high school and stuff too. And so like kind of that, I was always kind of in that, like I wanted to be around the movie okay. scene. And so that the skateboard videos evolved to like doing wedding videos and um, highlight tapes for football, like college senior or high school seniors trying to go and apply for, for colleges. Okay. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Which and, is cool. Cause that wasn't a thing back then either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I'd give them the VHS tape to, to mail <laughs> yeah. off. And then we, uh, I then I, I remember getting a DVD burner and I was able to actually start putting stuff on DVDs, but not a lot of people had DVD players. Uh huh. Um, oh, so you went straight VHS to DVD and you, you passed laser disc. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I, <laughs> you didn't want to I do laser disc. over the laser disc. <laughs> Dude, I remember that. Dude, the quality of that was so bad. I still have like the old VHS of like 
my tape that I made like for colleges from high school basketball. It is so bad. You can't even like see nice who humble it brag. is. Mm-hmm. Huh? Nice humble brag. Boom. The Daddy. quality was bad, but the playing was good. <laughs> the play was amazing. Yeah. I mean, but like I tried showing my kids because I, I was like, guys, I promised at one point in my life, <laughs> I was a decent athlete. I promise I was. And they're like, well, which one are you? I'm like, ooh, see that like blur, Buzzy. that blob? I think that one is me. <laughs> Why? And Why? to think that that's what I'm sending colleges. It's just like, oh yeah, you could for sure see. I was really good. So I worked at Blockbuster Video when I was mm-hmm. in high school. And uh, that's also a humble brag. And I got really- How, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this pod isn't about me though. <laughs> no, but I remember I got really good at the tracking. Remember the little tracking uh, uh-huh. little thing you had to run back and forth? Because when it got blurry and messed up, you, dude, I was I was like a savant with that thing. I like turning that sucker and made it crystal clear blobs. That's nice. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So I did that. I wanted to do some video stuff and, okay. um, was actually getting into taking some courses at junior college and, uh, went to school for that ultimately dropped out. But after my, my house burned down, I had, you know, had to kind of find a new circle of friends. We relocated to a new home, a new stake and ward down in Southern California. And I was kind of forced to go meet new people. Okay. And in that group of people were the people that introduced me to Vess. um, and he was uh, a branch manager at the time for our very, very first, you know, startup rendition of, of the pest control world. For sure. And uh, that's when I met my wife. Um, okay. Like just this whole new circle of friends just plugged me into every great thing that I've had moving forward. So. Um, oh, isn't that so cool that you would have never got to there. Yeah. To your point without like the fire, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. So Vess was one of your first introductions then into the pest control world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Vess was uh, a lead, leading a sales team and I was on the operations side okay. back in 2007. So the house burned out 2003, um, meet a new circle of friends, 2004, um, 2005, leave on my LDS mission, 2005, back 2007, go to Mexico City. And my circle of friends from pre-mission said, hey, you want to come work for us? You need a job. You're back from your mission. Okay. And at that point is when I met, when I met Vess. Got it. And, uh, and so you didn't go out on the sales side then? No, I started off as a tech. Okay. Um, spraying houses. And <laughs> looking back, like I was three years on the operation side before I made the jump to the sales side. Okay. Um, it was probably better that way and it worked out the way it was supposed to, but I do have like minor regret of like, what if I would have started out selling yeah. three years prior, where would I be sure. in the company and where would I be with, you know, finances and yeah, yeah. everything else. But there what was- What made you choose the tech side over the sales side? Um, I just didn't like the, like I didn't, didn't like the, the summer sales bro like image from yeah. back then. Like, like they would come down to like our singles wards and uh, they'd have their 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 polo collar popped and their puka shell necklaces on, <laughs> and uh, they'd break all the hearts of the girls in the ward, um, and and yeah, so I so my 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 initial exposure to like the summer sales culture was just these Utah bros, yeah, and I was like, I don't want to be one of those guys, yeah, and and then so it really was when I met Vess and met the other sales reps within within Aptives, you know, group that I was like, these guys aren't weird. Uh, they're not, yeah. you know, Vess is one of the most genuine, you know, non-bro yeah, for people sure. that you'll ever meet. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, this, there's something different about this company. Yeah. And it was then that I, I decided to ride the wave till it crashed. And I said, you know, if this company is as good as the people are, they're going to go off and do big things. And this is a group of people that I want to be a part of. Yeah. And so that's when I stopped, you know, dropped out of film school and, um, 
you know, 15 years later, here I am still riding, riding the wave. (laughs) So first summer dropped out of film school or did you go do it first? Like Um, test the waters? I was a little little bit. So like I, if I went back to school now, I'd have to kind of start over because of the way the editing and video and film, I mean, you can get better quality off your phone now than I could have on any cameras and stuff I was using platforms, editing like software. So, I mean, I, I still do a little bit, but, um, yeah, I pretty much just cold Turkey stopped okay. and decided to run with one, one with the run with the company. And so I was a tech my first year with the company. And then I was a service manager over the technicians. My second year moved up to the Bay area. My third year was a branch manager, started that area, that branch from scratch. So I would order the trucks, the licensing permitting hired in the office staff, the service technicians did all the sales rep payroll. And it was that year doing the sales payroll and seeing what these summer, these guys were making in a summer and comparing that to what I was making in a year. Yeah. Where I was like, some of these guys, if they're really good are making in a summer, what I could, what I'm making in a whole year and I'm living in one of the most expensive areas to live in, in the U S. Yeah. Um, and so I, I called up Vess and Dave and they had independently talked. Dave was the the co-founder yeah. and, um, they had independently talked about moving me over as well, which wasn't a typical transition. Typically yeah. people are saying, I'm, I'm done knocking doors, put me in something different. Yep. But because I had had experience on the operation side, I knew what the products were. I knew what the service entailed. I knew how to set expectations correctly. And I had ran the best branch in the company that year. They, they were like, Hey, maybe, maybe he would be good on this side. So when I called that's him, not like a common thing. No, like the crossover in anything from pest control, alarm, satellite, like anything mm-hmm. from like the operations technical side to the sell side, it's very, very rare that anyone ever crosses over. Yeah. And there's always a disconnect. There's historically a disconnect sales and operations. Yep. And so, so maybe by me, by me transitioning over to the, uh, to the sales side, the training and how I trained my sales force and how I trained everybody in the culture I built was very much, um, in line with the operation side, which led to a better customer experience, better sales retention, better earnings overall. And so it was just, it was honestly the best move that I could have done. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's like a parallel with like Larry H. Miller. Larry H. Miller started in the parts department. Okay. Have you, have you read, yeah, yeah, have you read right. his book? No, I haven't. Yeah. Anyways, he started in the parts department and, and was like, I'm going to make this the most amazing experience ever for all these people that are ordering parts from us. And that's where he started. He's like, and if I work harder than everyone and I learn operations better than everyone, that's going to, you know, grow to bigger and better things. And so, you know, and he, he always talks about how that was like the base for that he built on, you know, to build the Larry H. Miller empire. If you're comparing me to Larry H. Miller, I'll take it. I'll take it. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, what was the hardest part for you for the switch? Um, like, like, was there ever a moment where it was like, oh crap, I should have just stayed where I was. So the, the, I think the, the scary part was just the leap of going from a salary with health insurance and a company vehicle and a company phone to 100% commission. Yeah. And that like, once I made that leap and like, I trusted myself enough and my, I saw the trust that my wife had in me to, to do it. Um, she never really doubted. She said, you know, if you think you can do it, you can. Yeah. Um, made the, made the leap. And that was the last time I ever really let it shake me. Okay. Um, you know, later that the next year we had our first kid, um, got stuck with, you know, I think like 15, $20,000 worth of the medical bills because of some complications and some different things there. And after it all shook out after my first summer of earnings, you take the medical bills away and I made almost exactly what my salary would have been the last year after taking out the medical bill expenses. Okay. And so had I had, 
stayed on the other job, even with the insurance, the stuff that happened wouldn't have been covered or yeah. marginally covered. And so you take another 20 K out of a salary in the Bay area, I would have been, you know, not in a good spot. And for so sure. like, for me, that was, that was like a good confirmation that I made a good move. Okay. And then from there, I went from like sales rep that first year to leading a team the next year to managing a division and then a region the next year. And then a senior regional and a VP. And now I'm a president of sales with the company. And so yeah. it's been, been fun. It's the coolest story. It's so rare to see the one that crossover, right? But it's so cool to go from like house burning down to president of sales to a however many billion dollar company active is hopefully going to be here pretty soon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that's pretty rad. But as you were growing your teams, is there anything that you took from either the technical side or kind of your past that you think made a difference in either how you recruited or how you trained. Cause I think one of the most interesting things, or maybe one of your greatest talents is like the culture you create. Mm -hmm. I think Aptive is good at it as well, but specifically to you and what have you done that intentionally? Or has that just kind of been your personality? Um, I've never really, kind of, I've, I've never really stepped back to think about it, but I, I guess I'd have to say, um, that I, I mean, I got into the summer sales, the actual sales side later in the game. My first summer selling, I was 26, uh, you know, turning 27 the, you know, that next year. Yeah. And so I was, I wasn't this 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old. Um, I'd been married already, um, brand new baby. My daughter was three weeks old when I went out for my first summer. And so I, I had this kind of parental instinct. So when it came time for me to start recruiting and training, I kind of had this maybe this parental mindset where, yeah. um, you know, any of anyone, do you have kids mm -hmm. too? I mean, any one of us, like we want our kids to have everything we have and more, like we want to give our kids a better life. We want to give our kids a better opportunity. We want our kids to, you know, succeed and have victories. Yeah. And so I went into, anytime I'd recruit somebody, I, I would look at the team I was building and, and how I was recruiting in from kind of this parental lens, like is, is, are these decisions I'm making going to be the best for my wife, for my kids? Are these decisions I'm making going to be the best for my team and for my region and for my culture? Yeah. And so I, I kind of had this, this weird parental kind of tired look on it because I didn't know any, any better. I couldn't just go to, go to my dorm after, you know, after, after school in at BYU and say, Hey, you guys want to come work with me, work with me this summer. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one, um, Two, growing up with a family, you know, five boys, like six kids. Um, everything we did was very team oriented. Like my older oldest brother's two and a half years older than me. My older brother's one and a half years older than me. Then there's me, and like so we were right, all really close, really close in age. So if, if one of us was doing something, all of us were doing it. If one of us was doing baseball, all of us were playing baseball. If one of okay. us was learning piano, we were all learning piano. Um, if one of us was going, you know, off to scout camp, we were all like, you know, so everything was really together. And so I got exposed kind of really early on to this, like how things are. I mean, we, I shared a room with two, with my two older brothers for most of my life. Um, and you know, one bunk bed, one other bed, like mm -hmm. clothes, toys, like you learn really quick that the room gets clean faster if you're all working together. And so I, I kind of just carried this team mentality into how I built not only the operations side, but into the sales side. And as I've, as I've fast forwarded now and we'll, we'll get into this stuff, but now that I have seen a lot of the inner workings of sports teams and I've read, you know, coaching, coaching books and autobiographies and 
um, you know, front office, back office, coach, court, bench, you know, starting five. Like I've just started building teams based on how I see successful sales organizations being built. That's awesome. Was there an aha moment for you when you transitioned from technical, the technical side to the sales side when you were like, oh, dude, I'm freaking good at this. Like I can do this. Um, yeah, I, I, I always knew that I could do it. Based just based on my upbringing, if I wanted to to play baseball, I had to sell like boxes of chocolates, lights out. If I wanted to go to scout camp, I had to be the top seller for the pancake breakfasts. Like, if I wanted to go on the school field trips, I had to sell wrapping paper and popcorn. And so early on, like I didn't have a problem going door to door selling, you know, popcorn and chocolates and you know that kind of stuff. And so I I kind of you grew up on the doors. It. Yeah, I, I did. Um, but I had also grown up with. Um, you know, with, with the stigma of salespeople or these greaseball salesmen. And, um, you know, if you, if you say you're going to do something for this and that's what it is. And, uh, my dad, you know, coming from the contractor world where every company is bidding on these jobs and the, the company's going to l- bid lower than you are, but then inflate the bill later just to win the bid. And then yeah. the, the pipe salesman and tool salesman come in and they're trying to sell you stuff you don't need. And, yeah. and so I kind of had this, like, I kind of like pushed the sales salesman side of me, like suppressed it through my, my childhood and, and early teenage years. And then like, then I, I came out and I was like, Hey, I'm actually, this is like you said, I'm, I'm pretty dang good at this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think the thing that, that I realized transitioning from the operation side to the sales side is, is especially when it comes to sales leadership was how important being an example was when, like when I was on the technician side and a service technician forgot their, some of their equipment or ran out of chemical, it's, Hey, I'll be right there. Hey, I'll be right there. Hey, I'll be right there. And I'd go and, you know, help and help and help and help and help. And, and who cares what I was doing? What they needed was more important. Um, in my first year leading a team on the sales side, Hey, Kyle, I forgot my clipboard. Hey, I'll be right there. Hey, Kyle, I ran out of paperwork. Hey, I'll be right there. Hey, my phone died. Okay. I'll be right there with a the charger. Like, and I, I kind of, carried over what I knew, mm-hmm. but what that was taking me away from was my own sales success and my own rhythm and my own ability to go home at the end of the night with more sales than anybody on the team. And if I wasn't selling as a leader, then they weren't selling. If I wasn't working as a leader, even though I was doing all the important things, I was helping you, I was helping you that that didn't translate to the team doing well. And so my, my first year, actually, I, I I sucked pretty hard as a leader. I like, my, like my, your personal sales. Yeah, no, my I still. I mean, I still sold well. Okay. I I mean, back then, like two hundred ish was the average. I sold two hundred and eighty in a okay. summer. Um, but I, as a leader, I could have done so much more had I had led by example and not coddled as much. Like I, I, I really do believe that if you want, like, you, if you want to help people, you have to be able to help yourself. Like. And looking back, that team, they loved me. They knew that I'd, you know, take a bullet for them. They knew that I was a phone call away and I'd drive over to them as fast as I could to deliver them from whatever hardship they were experiencing. You know, even it was to go take them to the bathroom or get them a bottle of water. But had I had just said, Hey, like you're, you're an adult, figure it out. You left your clipboard at home, go back and get it. Yeah. You, you ran out of paperwork. You should have planned better. Go back and get it. And instead they just relied on me to do almost everything for them and that, babied them. It also took me away from putting up better and bigger and more consistent numbers so that they could, you know, they could see the consistency and the power that comes from being consistent. Okay. So the following year I flipped the switch and 
almost doubled my results. My team more than doubled their results. And it was just, Did they adapt pretty quickly to the, to the new style. Yeah. <laughs> the new Kyle. Yeah. The new, the new Kyle style. Oh, wait, what? You're not going to go get my clipboard. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and then now, now everything's iPads and uh-huh. digital. Right, so now right. like there's now it's like, Oh my, my iPad died. So I can't sell. Like, it's okay. Grab an Uber, go to a Best Buy, get a Mophie battery pack <laughs> and get back out there. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, if you, if you want to, if you want to succeed, you have to, I mean, I can't want, you know, you can't want your, you can't want your people to succeed more than they want to succeed. Absolutely. Were there moments in that transition too, in that when you were figuring that out where, you know, where you were able to identify like top performers and, and, do you feel like some of the changes that you made brought out the best in them and, and what kind of fulfillment did you get from that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I thought one day was, you know, the coaches aren't calling Michael Jordan, telling him to show up to practice, like practice coaches. We're talking about practice. Sorry, yeah, wrong guy. No <laughs> coaches aren't calling Kobe, you know, saying, Hey, make sure you're out at 4am putting up shots. Yeah. And so I, I really, I, I, I thought to myself, the leaders and the guys that really want it are going to, to be the self-starters. They're going to be the ones coming to me saying, how can I train more? What can I do better? And those guys are the ones that I need to put a lot of my time and effort in into. And then the rest of the people, um, I wanted to just kind of, you know, hire people that were more just the, they were followers. If I put them with somebody really strong that was going to work the schedule, they'd work the schedule. If I put them with someone else that wanted to go catch movies or cut out early, they'd cut out early. And so I, I just I would try to just focus on building enough people on my team that wanted it that were going to be steady examples and consistent. So that if I paired them with somebody that was either weaker or more of a fence sitter, that their their strength would just kind of pull that that person along. Um, and you'd pit you'd pit those people kind of against. The Sounds lower, like you're ready to be a mission president. No thanks. No thanks. Hard, hard pass. I'm dodging the subject by refreshing my Twitter feed on, on trades. Good call. Anything coming through? Um, nothing. Uh, nope. So what part or like when in your career did you either see the vision of like an active to where you're like, okay, this can be a long-term thing because so I did the summer thing for five years, right? So like I, my first summer, blah, 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 summer selling was 2003 uh-huh. and it was by no means the pitch designed for a career. It was totally come out for a handful of years and then just be done. Like yeah. that was the culture. That was the idea. And so when did you know, or was it taught to you or did you see something you're like, okay, I could actually do this long-term. Mm-hmm. I think it was, so it was the transition from, our first company, Eco First, we had sold our customer base off to Terminex. Uh, Dave and Vess rebranded, started you know the next brand, Altera, and it was kind of that transition where um, I hadn't really looked at it as a as a career. I looked at it as more of like, okay, there's this has a shelf life. Yep. Um, but with Altera, as we started growing and we got a better office space, we got you know started investing in technology, better gear, put a basketball court in. Like we started trying to make it feel almost like a Silicon slopes mm-hmm. in Utah, like make the blue collar feel more white collar. Yeah. And that's where it, it clicked where it still worked for, for people that want to come out and do it for year, two years, three years and, and have that be the stepping stone that helps them launch their future business or pay for grad school. Totally fine. Like not everybody needs to make a career out of it, but we, we decided as a company to provide a way for it to become 
a career if people wanted to stay in it. And so we, we kind of built the structure so that people could transition off the doors eventually. So they're not have to uproot their family anymore and relocate to get an apartment for the summer with their kids. And so if you, if you stuck with it long enough, you're able to definitely not be on the doors and kind of take more of a training and hands-on role in the, in the summer season and then recruiting and training in the normal, yeah. um, the off season and stuff. Okay. That's cool. What part of your, like, cause you've always had your hands in a lot of stuff, you know, growing up sounding, mean, you have your film business and your, you know, skate shops and you're doing all this kind of stuff. When did you kind of start to re-explore like new opportunities? Like it feels like you were kind of head down focused on growing teams, organization adaptive, yeah. right? Yep. When did you start to like, Oh, maybe I can go and look at this. Like I can take a bigger role and get heavy into sports or I'm going to get into sneakers or you know, all this other stuff. Like when did that start to kind of bubble up? Yeah. So I, a few, I think 14, 15, 2014, 15 is when I started kind of really getting back into collecting sneakers. Okay. Um, and you know, back to reflect back to childhood, I'd have to work, I'd have to mow lawns and babysit and do things all summer long to get one or two pairs of shoes that needed to last me, you know, wearing every single day, the For entire sure. school year. And, and so I had always wanted the Jordans and the nicer sneakers. And I typically ended up with the shacks and, you know, the other, the other things, um, pumps. yeah, the, uh, the pumps are coming back. The right. pumps are, pumps are, pumps are iconic, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I never, I never had, I never had the pumps. My friends had the pumps and they'd let me pump the, you know, pump it and press the valve and thought it was the coolest thing, but I never had a pair of pumps back then. Um, but yeah, so I, I, uh, what's your most nostalgic shoe from your childhood? Like what was the first shoe? Mm-hmm. that like got you hooked it was honestly it wasn't even like a, a jordan or anything like that it was i think the first shoe that really just got me hooked on it was uh, a dc shoe it was called the dc boxer it was like a white leather shoe with like blue accents on it and i i saved up i bought it and like I had landed one of my first like more technical skateboard tricks the first day I had those shoes on okay. and I was like it's got to be the shoes better, gotta, exactly the whole got to be the shoes <laughs> and uh and so from then like it, it kind of just built built from there yeah back in so 14 15 I started kind of collecting again getting into it and realizing that I could sell you know sneakers as well and and for every two pairs I could sell I could buy a pair myself okay. and pretty much break even and and that way my collection wasn't costing me money and I could justify it with my wife that, Hey, I'm not dumping a bunch of money into sneakers cause I'm selling these other pairs yeah. that are paying for my, you know, my collection. Yes. I remember. So really quick, my nostalgia moment for sneakers, it was eighth grade. I never forget. Tom took us. I still remember the store is this tiny little store in the corner in American fork. And I got my first pair of Nikes. So it was eighth grade. I got my very first pair of Nikes and they were like the cheapest version of them. But I still like remember is like black with like a silver thing on the side that is like the moment that like it was over from there and now it's bad. It's bad. But, <laughs> but that is like my sneaker moment. That is when it all clicked. Like I got yeah. my very first pair of Nikes in eighth grade. My kids don't get that because like my son came home from the hospital in Jordan's you little sucker. Like you just don't appreciate it. Like he doesn't have that moment. Yeah. But anyways, I was about eighth grade too, but looking back, it was about seventh or eighth grade when, uh-huh. when that happened. That was my first pair of Jordan's too. Eighth grade. Really? Yep. And parents were like, I was like, hey, I need basketball shoes. Yep. And then I would actually take the box 
I keep the shoes in the Jordan box uh-huh. and I would take, and then I would put that in my duffel bag <laughs> to go to my junior jazz game. Cause it was like an extra layer of coolness. Uh-huh. You open your freaking backpack and they're like, Oh, and I've got my box. Open that sucker up, and I'm like, okay. and dude, that's when you knew, like, everyone like, like those collapsing dolls. That, like, <laughs> yeah, the Russian, out, the Russian dolls. Yeah, Russian dude. Dolls. <laughs> and then you would hit the payphone, and you'd call collect, and instead of doing your name, you'd be like, okay, come get me. And that's <laughs> right. how, your parents, yep, that's yep, how yep, your parents knew to come get you. Yep. Just the things our kids will never experience. I feel so bad for them. Yeah. So, going back 14, 15, how did you know where to get shoes? Because I, I remember I had a friend, and he would do the same thing. He would like have all of his family because they didn't have like shoe drops like they did now. Yeah. Like that wasn't a thing, but I remember he would always buy his goal was to always buy 10 pairs of shoes and make enough money. So the 11th was free for him. Mm-hmm. So like, that's kind of, that was his style and how he did it. Right. How did you know where to get shoes? Like, how did you start to like, how did you figure out where to acquire? Um, I mean, I, I was, I was in back, like back in high school, I was in with a lot of the different teams. I played water polo, but I knew all the basketball players and I skateboarded. So I knew kind of that community and, and really just, I looking back, it was just the networking. Somebody had a brother that worked at Foot Locker that would say, Hey, this is coming out. Uh, the skate shop would get their order sheet a a month or two in advance. They'd say, Hey, these are, I'd ask them, Hey, what's coming out. These are coming out. I'd look them up in the CCS catalog. If you remember that, (laughs) like. I'd look them up in the it's catalog. Like a and, it's like yeah, a Beckett for yep, shoes. Exactly. Or East Bay. Or East yeah, Bay. I was East Bay. Say, yeah. The East Bay yeah, the East Bay catalogs. And so all of that kind of stuff um, I would I would get into and I would just kind of make lists of of what what was coming out. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, then 14, 15 with the internet, I mean, that definitely helped with sneaker news and yep. Twitter feeds and stuff that definitely help with that. But as we've moved away from being able to line up and walk into a pair, uh, you know, walk into a, a, a store or camp out overnight, the raffles just make it a lot more difficult. Impossible. Um, is very, the right word. very, <laughs> uh, but fast forward to me knocking doors since 2012 in Southern California knocking doors, I'm running into the owners of the boutiques and the stores on Fairfax and, and, uh, you know, the flight club and mag park and cool kicks. And okay. I get to know the owners of the stores on like a personal level. Cause I'm spraying their house for bugs. Sure. And, uh, they, you know, they set aside some shoes or make things a little easier for me to, to get a hold of. Um, I know, you know, people uh, through my networks as I've grown that undefeated, that'll occasionally backdoor a pair or two. And, okay. and so my literally knocking doors has opened up my ability to acquire sneakers for non crazy, super crazy prices That's awesome. as well, which is, there, which is, yeah, yeah, which has been when great. You're like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to, I need I mean, some it, shoes or else uh, these tarantulas. Yeah, <laughs> I, could take, I could take care of these rats, Yeah, but, um, so my first summer selling, that was how I got through every week. I rewarded myself with a pair of shoes. I was in Chicago. Uh-huh. And so every week I would buy a pair of shoes that I stayed. So did you have any money left at the end of the summer? No, zero. <laughs> I, I made no money. And, but it was the same thing. Like, because we were out knocking, like I became really good friends with the guys who ran the shoe stores, yep. like down in the hood. And so they had like exclusive Chicago sneakers that were coming out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is a sad story. I've told it before, but you'll appreciate it. I had all of these shoes in boxes, hadn't even worn them because I was, it was pre-mish. So I packed them up, went on my mission and I came back. I was like, mom, where's all my shoes? Like 
I had boxes and boxes. I, I had garbage bags full of boxes of these old shoes, these Jordans and limited release shoes. She's like, oh, all those old ones? I was like, yeah. She's like, no. oh, I took them to DI. <laughs> oh, man. So I came home from mission and it was two of those black garbage bags full of like limited edition shoes Dang. that I'll never get back. And you are still taking the tax savings from that. I mean, you know, you got little <laughs> slips from DI and you're like, yep. hey, I'm showing a loss for this year from those shoes that got yep. donated. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I had a, a pretty decent collection of, of dunks from like okay. the nineties, two thousands and those burned down, uh, back from my house burned down. Thanks for m- reminding me. Oh. Um, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, looking back, like how popular dunks are and like what the resell is even on the classic, yeah. the classic dunks. I'm like, man, I wish, I wish I could have saved the dunks and my boxes of Pokemon cards. And I wasn't even into Pokemon, but I collected them with the hope that they would be worth something now, you know, someday. And now is that day. Now is that day. Yep. So just finishing up on the sneaker thread. So what, I mean, you've, you've kind of become the go-to guy. Mm -hmm. If anyone needs a pair of sneakers, they know to come to you, even professional athletes, yeah, celebrities. I mean, they're coming to you for sneakers. Yeah. Like, why is that a thing? Like, why is it that there is a guy that you have to go to, especially like, like an NBA athlete? Like, how do they not have access to these that you do? Yeah. So it, unless they're like a really high, I mean, most, most athletes have like a, a sneaker endorsement or Nike Adidas, but they're not, if they don't have their own signature shoe or they're not a really big player in the game, yeah. they're not getting a lot of the limited release ones. They yeah. might get the occasional friends and family pack, but even if they go onto their own, like, swoosh account or Nike, you know, sport account, they can't go and drop, you know, the, the new Jordans that are going to sell out and sneak on the sneakers app in five seconds into their cart. And so they, unless they have like an in with their Nike or their Nike rep really likes them or they're maintaining that relationship. And unfortunately the agent isn't typically the, the player doesn't, isn't the one that maintain the relationships. It's the agent. Yeah. And the agent isn't thinking, Hey, my player really wants these shoes. I should get chummy with my Nike rep and make sure that my, my player is getting all of these things. Like, yeah. which was, is, it's, it's insane to me that they're, I mean, the, the a lot of the agents uh, are just passing up on opportunities to create immense value, like immediate immense value for their, for their players. Like if you're a player and you have a pair of sneakers and you pair it with a fit, you, you end up on league fits or on social media. And those things are big. Like yeah. that, that's a big, that's a big thing. It, may, it makes you more relevant. It gets your exposure out to other teams and other non-markets. Everyone's seeing it. And so those are things that are adding in my mind, like great value to the player to make sure. it more likable, more relevant. Uh, that's so yeah, how you separate yourself yeah, from other agents, yeah, right? Cause you're doing exactly. these extra small things yep. outside of the contracts and the negotiations yep. that all agents can do. Yep. You know, those are the little things that yeah. make you, you know, differentiate yourself. Yeah. And so, so what I found too, is with the athletes, they just want someone reliable. That's dependable. That's not going to exploit them. That's not going to, you know, live stream their drop off. Like, Hey guys, like I'm here dropping off a pair of sneakers to Donovan Mitchell and, um, and they just kind of want it to be, you know, low, low key. Yeah. And so I, I think looking back to where that kind of started with the players and who was um, the first guy, um, Do you Don, remember? it was Donovan Royce, you know, Donovan and Royce. Those were your yeah, first guys. My first two. Yeah. Really? Um, like what was the connection? Like what, how did that first happen? Um, Donovan had came and shot, uh, 
did like a charity three pointer shootout for us his rookie year. I remember that. That's um, just tell because hold on. Joe was supposed, was supposed to, to be Joe, right? It was supposed to be Joe, <laughs> and then Joe couldn't make it or something. So they just sent some rookie. So they sent Donovan Mitchell down. We sent a limo up for him. He showed up, and he, I think he made like seventy five out of a hundred shots. And we were donating two hundred fifty dollars per shot. Okay. To um, the Nothing But Nets Foundation, they with they fight malaria and yeah. mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff. And so. Um, I had made a connection there with him briefly, and then I had met up with them randomly that January. They had beat the Warriors, just like we beat the Warriors last night. <laughs> um, nice. But but they, that we beat the healthy Warriors yeah. uh, back then. Draymond and Clay uh, were playing. Yep, exactly. And so we, um, uh, Royce's barber, uh, Philo, friend of mine, was in town, and I had linked up with him on social, and we had kind of chatted back and forth, and he happened to pass me at the game and we talked for a second and he had invited me to go out with them after the game to Ruth's Chris. And I was like, okay, we'll go to Ruth's Chris with Royce's barber, which means Royce is going to be there. Donovan will probably be there. Like you make this sound really casual. People would like die for the opportunity to like casually talk to this, you know, and get invited yeah. out. Like, and, and so I told myself not to like fan fanboy or whatever. And so I turned around on my drive home, met up at Ruth's Chris, um, and, uh, and actually Philo had, I had had got what it was there when they first unveiled their city edition jerseys. Okay. So they had like the city edition towel mm-hmm. that they unveiled the court, all of that. Like, it was a really, really cool night. Yeah. Um, so I had the city edition towel cause I was sitting right behind the jazz bench that night. Um, and the, the, be- the, the seats behind them had the towels to commemorate it. And, uh, Philo had offered, he's like, Hey, you want me to get that signed by the players? And so I was like, okay, that, that'd be dope. Yeah. Um, and so he called me after the game and said, Hey, got all the players to sign it. Even got coach to sign it. Um, we're going to Ruth's Chris if you want to pull up. And so I, not only was I going to hang out with the players, but I was getting a, a towel signed by the entire yeah. 2017 team. Yeah. And so he, uh, I kind of went back and they were kind of in the back room, six of them there. Nobody was really eating like super heavy. Like they were all kind of appetizers or chicken or sides and chicken, you know, nothing crazy. Roots, Chris? Yeah. Chicken. Um, I mean, a lot of them rookie when they're rookie year, they're not, they don't, can't eat steak every night. Um, and the, the, the chicken is the more right, affordable right. thing on the menu. <laughs> I mean, we're um, sitting in Bam Bam. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not really thinking about chicken. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we, and so I kind of sat there for a second, the TV was on, they were watching all the post game highlights from ESPN chatted with them for a second, let them know, Hey, I, if you guys need me to find sneakers, I'm happy to, I'm not going to charge you guys a ton. Obviously I'd love to have more repeat clients than like somebody that finds out I'm charging way too much. Yeah. If I can find a pair, I'll let you know. If I can't find a pair, I'll let you know really quick. Yeah. Um, and because it's not my full-time job, I'm not a full-time sneaker reseller. That's not how I feed my family. Like I have this job. I'm a regional manager with this pest control company. Like and I told him like I'm already pretty like I'm good set. like I'm good like financially yeah. like this isn't like me selling this is fun. it. It's fun. It's I love it. The hunt and, and helping someone. And I out. said it's it's helping you guys not squander you know your right now your non guaranteed rookie contract money on overpaying for stuff that you shouldn't have to overpay for. What players were in that room? Um, Do you remember still? Yeah, it was. Uh, so Royce, Donovan. Um, I think Derek Derek Favors was there. Um, oh. One of the G League G League two way guy. Uh, what was his name? I can look it up real quick. But uh, that's awesome. Um, Not gorgeous, George's. That was before him, right? Um, yeah, that was right before him. Ekpe Udo was there. Oh, yeah. 
Um, Eric, Eric, Eric McCree. Uh, do you remember Eric McCree? No. He was G League, and then he was okay. back and forth a little bit. He was one of their earlier two ways. Okay. Um, and then the Philo, the barber. Yeah. And so I, I very quickly just said, hey, guys, like, if you're not resting or practicing or playing, you're not perfecting your craft. Like, you guys shouldn't be the ones getting up at midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to jump onto sneakers to get this stuff. And you shouldn't be paying three to four times more than what it is. Like if I can find it, I'll charge you like 20, 30 bucks more than what, you know, I paid for it with shipping my time, you know, and I'd love to help. Yeah. Um, and then on my way out and again, why, why I referenced why I looked at what they were eating. Um, nobody had like, they didn't have like crazy bottles of wine on the table. Right. Like it wasn't going to be an expensive bill on my way out. I didn't say, Hey guys, I'm going to pick up the tab, but I stopped, I stopped the, the, the hostess on the way out. Um, and I just said, Hey, the room back there, can I just take care of the bill for them and did that. And on my way out, um, I didn't run back in or they just did, you know, again, nonchalant. Yeah. And for me, it was more just a gesture of like, Hey, I just got to hang out with like a team that just beat the warriors, you know, a championship (laughs) team. Like uh, the least, least I can do is, is say, thanks for letting me hang for a sec. Um, I got a text from, I think Donovan the next day, like, Hey, thanks for picking up dinner. Um, message from Royce as well. And then the questions of, Hey, can you find this and this and this started coming in okay. and I was able to deliver. And then my name, you know, my name and number started getting shared with the jazz players. And then as trades happened with other players on other teams, like Josh Hart, um, you know, when he was on the Lakers, I've dropped off shoes to Lonzo ball. Like, um, there's, uh, a pair of shoes that may or may not have made their way to Chris Paul at one point that I helped find. Okay. Um, you know, did, you, it, did you send those with khakis too? Yeah, and, and a red and a red polo shirt. Perfect for, for State Farm. Yeah, yeah, you wrote it on their cliff. Yeah, enjoy. And so, so yeah, so it's it's been a, a fun like as sad as trades are like for me and my network to expand like trades are are honestly a, a, a good thing. Sure, sometimes absolutely um, because then more and more teams get connections with me and more and more people are looking for sneakers or, and it, and it's evolved. It's evolved from sneakers to, Hey, who's, who's a good, reliable auto detailer. Hey, where can I get my dog groomed? Hey, what are the good, my, the good restaurant spots to take my girlfriend or my mom to when they're in town? Okay. You're an NBA like, concierge. It's, exactly. Like, so it's kind of evolved into this, like just, I'm just the, the people's plug, I guess <laughs> you, if you, if you call it that. Malcolm Gladwell calls it a connector. A connector. That's rad. So when, I mean, well, first question, are you still active in sneakers for helping other people find yeah. stuff? Yep. Okay. So you're still active in, mm-hmm. in that world. Have you built any kind of team or do you still like doing it yourself? Um, I have, I have, uh, luckily I'm able to employ the help of my sales force. Okay. You know, <laughs> I, I have like a group me thread with, uh, you know, at some points a few hundred of my sales reps. I'm like, Hey, eight o'clock AM get this. <laughs> if you get the sneakers, 20 bucks plus the cost of the sneakers. Okay. And so helping, you know, with that helps. Um, I have a few, you know, a few, like a small circle of like five or six people that are pretty active with me on releases and drops and cool. they're scouring the the web for, you know, early links and that kind of stuff as well. And okay. I'm usually able to find, find things, you know, at worst case, I can reach out to the resale stores and swap a consigned pair that's going to yield the same profit to get a pair of shoes from them for close to retail or close to what I paid for the pair that I'm trading them. Got it. And so I, I've had these connections now with a lot of the, the reselling sneaker stores down in LA where I can call somebody and, 
And for a pair that I got for retail, literally swap for a pair that's selling for a thousand. If my pair is also going to sell for a thousand, if I can size swap or, or switch for a style or a size or things like that. So it's, I'm just trying to play it smarter versus like having to go and, and pay, you know, Twelve hundred dollars, thirteen hundred dollars, three thousand dollars for a pair of shoes yep. to, f- to give to a, a player, yeah, just to make twenty bucks on that, you know. Yep. So, where where did the jazz start? I mean, when did you become one a fan, uh-huh. and then two, when did you start like getting involved? It's was was sneakers the door into that? Um, yeah. So my 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 dad's a diehard jazz fan. He grew up here in Utah, Mapleton. Uh, Maple in Utah, but graduated from Provo High School, went to BYU, uh, die hard, die hard, die hard. And in my early 90s, when it was the Jazz Bulls, Jazz Bulls, uh-huh. or like, like it's late 90s, but in the 90s, I was a big, you know, Bulls fan because of Space Jam and Michael Jordan. Yeah. And what kid didn't like Michael Jordan? For you sure. know, you got to be like Mike, Gatorade, everything. And uh, I mean, Haynes, whatever. I mean, all the, all the old, you know, marketing. Uh-huh. And, and so, but we, we'd watch the jazz games growing up. We'd go to friends' houses. We'd, um, we'd watch the playoffs and. Would you watch the, uh, Michael Jordan's playground? Yes. Michael Come fly with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I was, I was obviously a, a, a Jordan Bulls fan back then, but Stockton Malone were amazing players. And my dad, my uncles, like my grandpa always talked about John Stockton, Carl Malone. And so I, I loved the jazz from like a family aspect, but I lived in Southern California. So yeah. they, I, they didn't feel connected. I didn't, didn't go to a jazz game in person, you know, ever until I moved up here. Sure. And then with Aptive, we had some season tickets okay. and some like lower bowls and then a suite as we kind of grew. So I started coming and bringing people, bringing, you know, sales reps, potential reps, vendors, clients, friends, family, and being around it. It's fun when you get to see a, a team live and experience that you kind of fall in love with, with the team. Yeah. Um, obviously at that point, Jordan retired. Kobe was, I was a Lakers fan because of Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kobe was kind of on his way, you know, out with injuries and then retirement. And then as, as I started attending more of the jazz games and especially as, as started as these players really, I mean, Rudy Gobert came in Joe and then Donovan. And that's really when the jazz kind of had a rebirth yeah. really was with when From they the landed Baron and Boozer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so when you're watching people that you have eaten dinner with and you're interacting with and you're helping and you're at, you know, the SB awards with, and you're on stage with Rick Ross and James Harden and Donovan at an Adidas event in, you know, in Compton at a high school, like you're, there's, you're kind of, you're, okay, you just said a lot of things. Yeah. Really, really <laughs> casually. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I ended up a few years back at the SB awards, um, a player and his agent couldn't make it. And I had helped them find some stuff and they hit me up because they knew I was in LA and said, how quick can you have it get a tux? And I said, I'll go rent one right now. Yeah. And the next day I was at the SB awards on the red carpet with one of my branch managers down there. <laughs> and, um, I'm not very athletic looking, nor am I very, you know, gorgeous, but the branch manager that I took, um, he could be a male model, very looks, very athletic. And they, they assumed he was an athlete oh, so, and nice. I was like an agent. And so I was walking, we were on the red carpet. They put him up against like the, the city, the, the capital one backdrop uh-huh. or take his pictures. What's your name? And like, they actually linked, linked to his name's Kyle Calder. And there's, I guess, an old professional hockey player named Kyle Calder. Okay. And so all of the, uh, 
the photos that are, what's the, uh, the photo service that they upload them all to, um, was it? Yeah. Getty. Yeah. All the Getty images are like, um, hockey player, Kyle Calder attends the SB <laughs> awards and, uh, you know, I'm in the background and, uh, but yeah, so we ended up there and, and ended up at the after party. And then that was when LeBron had announced that he was coming to LA and there was a, a welcome to LA party after the after party at the SBs. So when you say I ended up at the after party, like how does that happen? Oh, um, I mean the, the, I don't know. I mean the, the tickets obviously, um, and the red carpet stuff came with like the uh, initial after party okay. access. And then we ended up at the after after party at, Le, at a, hel- a rooftop hotel in Hollywood. And, um, Floyd Mayweather was there. Drake was there, you know, all the, all of LeBron's, you know, same class people, Chris Paul, uh, Dwayne Wade, um, yeah, Cliff Paul, um, like the Migos were there. Like it was just a crazy, crazy, crazy experience. So how do you feel in those situations? Because like, I feel like you're, I mean, physically, from like like you're as about as different as you can get from like yeah a LeBron James to a Kyle yep. you know what I mean I mean it is it's not like you would see debatable like, oh yeah like no. I could <laughs> I could see that you know what I mean like yeah. it just feels like what is this guy doing here mm-hmm. um, I mean I, I sometimes get those looks but the the crazy thing about it is that is that because I am so different yeah by being there everyone just assumes that I must be somebody important. Or that I must be, oh, okay. he's here, like he must be somebody. Yeah. And so like, they don't even like bat an eye. Fact a lot of times. Exactly. And that's, that's kind of growing up where I grew up and serving my LDS mission, where I served my mission in Mexico. Like you walked past certain streets and you just didn't, you had to act like you belonged. You didn't look back and make eye contact. Like sure. you just, you just did it. And, uh, and so, yeah, so being in those situations and, um, you know, ending up, you know, at the Adidas event with Rick Ross and James Harden and, and Donovan Mitchell during his rookie campaign and, um, the rookie of the year campaign stuff. Like that stuff is all just, it, for me, it's, it's just, it was timing. I knew the right people or had made friends with the right people at the right events. Yeah. Um, I had made, we'd become friends with the, one of the Adidas reps that manages like the Adidas relationship with the athletes Okay. who happens to be one of, you know, James Harden's right hand man. And, um, and he had said, Hey, we're doing this event. If you want to come, I'll get you a VIP, you know, wristband. All right. You know, I didn't realize that Rick Ross was going to walk out on stage and perform in front of, you know, at James Harden's middle school where he was donating a redone gym, yeah. you know, to, to them that day. And, um, so again, being in those scenarios introduces you to so many people Yeah. and I'm just, how do you, how do you not be a fan uh-huh. And, be a, and, and be a peer, right? Growing up being a sports fan, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, how do you, or how did you like learn to play it cool? Uh, practice. And obviously on the doors, door, you know, being on the doors, you had to learn how to mirror people. Yeah. Like you learned that pretty early on too. Um, if, if they were all hyped up, like I'm hyped up, if they're dancing, like and bobbing their heads in music, like I'm doing the same yeah. thing. And, uh, if they have their phones out and recording, I'm assuming it's okay for me to have my phone out and record too. Okay. And if they're, if they're not, then I'm not type of thing. And so it's really just kind of just reading, read reading the room and kind of following what, what the current vibe is. Okay. Um, and then again, was there I, like a pinch me moment along like in that, in that world where you're like, how in the world am I here? Um, I mean, it happens a lot. Yeah. And, and I, and again, like I, I can't pinpoint the exact like moment where it all, what spurred all of that? Yeah. Like really, except for 
honestly, my house burning down, <laughs> like looking back to that, because that introduced me to Good thing that happened. my, my wife, the company, the company gave me the sales skills and the confidence and the network to, to be able to be in the right position to meet these people. Yeah. And like everything else like has been, has been fantastic yeah. because of it. Um, in your interactions you've had with, you know, a lot of these athletes, we stereotype them in a certain way, you know, because we know their public personas and stuff. What, what's a, what's an interaction or experience that you had with one of these guys where you thought they were one thing, but then getting to know them, you're like, Oh freak, man, I was way off. Um, is there anyone that sticks out in particular? Like, Oh man, I couldn't stand that guy. But then you get to know him. You're like, Oh, that guy is one of the most genuine, cool dudes. I know. Not really. Um, well, that was a terrible question then. My bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not really, but I'm also trying to be. First time. First I'm, time also, I'm also trying to be careful with what I, with what, with how I answer. For sure. Um, For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. with, with, oh, with, you know, who and, and how, um, it's like guys that you hate playing against, but you love them when they're on your team. Like, yeah, yes, yeah kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I mean, Donovan's as genuine as the news and press says he is like Jordan Clarkson is honestly one of the best human beings alive. Um, Joe's just as, as cocky, funny, Bernie, I don't know, like roasty. What, yeah. I don't know. You, you, you Bernie. Yeah. I don't, like, my, I don't know. My favorite Joe story. I posted it last night was we were at a summer league game. And if you're in Utah, that's the best way to go and meet the players yeah. because they all come and they just chill. So we were in the tunnel hanging out and Joe was there and my kids were trying to get an autograph. So we're like, Hey Joe, can you come say hi to the kids? And he was having a conversation. He's like, I'll be right back. I promise. And he got busy and distracted. Right. After the game, he came and found us well, and found the kids, took a picture, signed their stuff. And he's like, guys, if I was Donovan, you would have waited for me, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, but he's just such a good dude. Like yeah. he came and found the kids after yeah. took and he's, time with he's them. hilarious. Like yeah. his sense of humor is like, it resonates well with me. Like having him on the team was always like, you knew he was in somebody's ear. Like you never knew exactly what he was saying, but if there was a player I'd want to be mic'd up in a game, it would be, it would be Joe. Joe. Oh, for sure. oh, I would, I would love to see like a mic'd up Joe in a game. Yeah. Mic'd up Joe V Paul George. Yep. 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 So I love hearing about that kind of stuff though. Cause like, you know, cause I have had interactions that weren't mm -hmm. very positive, Yeah, you know, like, and I, you give them the benefit of the doubt that you cut them on the wrong day and everyone needs something from them. They're all picking at them and stuff, you know, but like, you know, I, Andrew knows about this, but like I was golfing with my kids one night, um, at a, at a course here in Utah and, and, uh, Tony Finau was in front of us, you know? And so, we, as a joke, because my kids wanted to meet him, I'm like, well, hey, let's just drive past him. I'll be like, hey, you're going too slow. We're going to play through, you know? And he had just lost the PGA championship. You know, he gave it up and he got, he got second. Anyways, and so it was a it was a Tuesday night. And uh, so we go past him and we're like, hey, sorry, you're playing too slow. Let us play through, da, 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 da. And he's like, laughed. He's like, yeah, it was just him by himself, had his headphones in. Anyways, so we go through and we play. And um, so we get back to the clubhouse and I gave my kids my car keys and then, and, and my son, you know, he's like seven years at the time. He was seven years old. My other son was, you know, 11 and I went to go take the cart back. Anyways, I'm walking back and I see a, a, a car stop and start handing him all this gear and my kids, all this gear, you know, and then just drove away. And I go up to my kids and I, Oh yeah, that was Tony Finau. And he just stopped and was like, Hey, how, how was your round, man? How'd you guys do? Sat and talked to my kids. He's like, you want some free stuff? And, you know, gave him some golf balls and some hats. And so, 
no cameras around, no mm-hmm. one's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and these you know these guys, they got these public personas and stuff. But to take the time, like some of them are really good, and mm-hmm. take the time and and you know make someone's make someone's day. You know, yeah. it's just I love to hear that about that kind of yeah that kind of stuff. And I, I've realized that more more of them are, are honestly just really down to earth, good good people. Like, and they are at the end, they're humans, you know, they're not, they're elite athletes, but they're not machines. And, right. uh, and so typically the ones that are, you know, jerks sometimes are typically it's, 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 um, it's being kind of sought after, like the person asking is asking the wrong way, or they just got hit with a, you know, maybe some bad news or, sure. you know, just an off day, like obviously asking a player for an autograph after they lose a game on the way out of the tunnel yeah. probably isn't going to happen. So oh, he, I asked him for an autograph and he, he, he was a jerk. Yeah. Like he, he told me, no, uh, you just have to kind of, again, for me, it's reading, reading the room yeah. with them. But, uh, you but bring I mean, up even, Harden though. Cause I think about Harden, like yeah. Harden's got a certain persona. Uh-huh. I mean, other than yeah. that sweet gift where he like rolls his eyes and he like leaves the frame, which yeah. we all have used and it's amazing, Yeah, you know, but like other than that, you know, he kind of comes off like he's aloof, doesn't really want to connect with yeah. people. You know what I mean? Oh, he's, he's, he's a kind good of dude. a, kind of a ball hog, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would never want to play on his pickup team. Mm-hmm. Actually, I probably would now at this stage in my career, I'd be like, yeah. here you go, dude, take it, yeah. take it. I'm just going to stand here at three point. Yeah. I don't want to do anything else. But like, like a Kevin Durant, like comes off sometimes as, you yes. know, kind of cold, yeah. super, super good dude. Uh, Paul George, I was with Paul George back when they were Don't in town. Don't tell Jingles that. Um, I was with I was with Paul George um, after the Clippers jazz game when they were here in town. And again, just super down to earth, really, you know, great conversations and just a really good, really good dude. The only player I've ever had a bad interaction you with. You don't have to name if you don't want to. No, no, I will. I, this one, this one's personal. Yes, no. yes, <laughs> yes, this the, is nitty gritty. The only, the only player I've ever had a bad interaction with was, um, was Pat Beverly. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but that's his, that's his MO. Yeah, like yeah. he's. Uh, it's almost probably strategic with so, him anyway. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the player he is. And like, you know, who he, he knows who he is and that's, he, He's wants a to, actor. he wants to be, he wants to be that, that player. So I show up to the jazz Clippers game five where, or game four, it was when they, yeah. When they got eliminated. Yeah. Game, game four. Cause we lost four in a row against the Clippers. Didn't we? We were up two up <sighs> to game six. Oh yeah. So it was game six. Yeah, the that's was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Game, game six. It was game six in LA. I was like, okay we're either going to win or lose. It's either going to be done or we're going to move on. Team is hurt. Conley Donovan playing through injuries. Like we're not in a good, good spot. I'm going to put on the elf costume and, <laughs> and it wasn't winter time. It was midsummer. So I, I, I fly in, uh, I was doing some training for active and stuff. So I was already there for work. Um, pulled my elf costume out, changed in the bathroom out in front of this, like in the restaurant at the Staples center, uh, made some signs and, and the signs weren't, weren't bad. Like one, like the longstanding, like Paul George, Joe Ingles is, uh-huh. is that's as long as they played against each other, there's been like this kind of playful yeah. banter. And if that's one way of if, putting it, if Joe, you know, if Joe does, you know, if Joe beats, you know, outplays Paul George, the memes on the internet are, you know, Joe holding Paul George as a baby. Yeah. yeah. You know, if Paul George does the same thing, it's Joe on his back and his shoulders. It's like, I, you know, Joe's my son or I'm his dad. Yeah. And so I, I made a sign that said, you know, Hi, you know, uh, hi, Paul George. I hope you find your dad or bye, Paul George. Bye, bye, Paul George. I hope you find your dad. And the picture of Joe Ingalls, like giving a thumbs up because <laughs> I was in an elf costume. I mean, the whole like, not yeah, yeah, yeah. like my buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I said that was like, I quoted the movie, worked it in. I did research. I made sure that like Paul George knew who his dad was. Like I, yeah. I, I there wasn't like, 
it wasn't going to be like conflicted, especially with, you know, how charged things have been over the last few years. The sign passes the security inspection at the door, passes the, the secondary inspection before I walk down to my seats. They, what's on the sign? Let's read it. Nobody says anything. I walk down ESPN, you know, sees me sees holding signs and I, and my tickets were right behind the ESPN booth. The announce, the different announcers were like, this is going to be fun. I have elf quotes ready to throw out. Yeah. My, my friend is, is runs the cameras for the Kings, the Clippers, uh, and the Dodgers. And he sees me walking from the green room. He's in, he's like, Kyle, are you here in an elf costume? <laughs> yep. That's me. And he was like, this is going to be great. Uh, uh, Pat Beverly's out warming up. He sees some commotion, looks over. I'm holding my signs up, you know, like the sign guy that's, yeah. you know, uh, holding that up, finishes his warm up. He's walking towards me and I'm like, I've never met this dude. He's probably going to dab me up or he, maybe he's heard of me or maybe he remembers me from a Christmas game. Um, he steps over ABC climbs up onto a railing row one, two, like he comes into the stands, which they're not supposed to do. Ooh. Yeah. And um, you're like, holy crap, is this run our test? And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> comes into the stands and I reach out to like, say what's up to him. He grabs my signs, oh, rips them up, rips them up, throws them on the ground, steps on them. And then picks them up, throws them in the trash, walks off. Doesn't say anything. Were you like, <laughs> no shoes for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so I, I was like, what the heck just happened? And then like the security goes and they pull the signs out of the trash. Cause like they're in the back tunnel. Turns out they're trying to piece them together to see like if what was, what was said, yeah. like if there was anything bad, if they could kick me out. Um, and I was just still in shock. I'm like, this is, this just felt weird. Yeah. And I didn't want to blow it up mainly because of jazz, the jazz fans track record of like jazz fans are racist or jazz sure. fans yeah. are this or yeah. that. Um, and I'm, you know, again, I'm in my elf costume, so I don't, don't think people are gonna take me seriously. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it, if like the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, like he came into my, my protected space. Like if I did, if I came, went on the court to do, to do that, I'd, oh, be, yeah, I'd be, be done. Done. He came into my space. He destroyed and took my personal property. You know, this just isn't right. But okay, well, I'm just going to brush it off. And then security comes and pulls me out of the chair. Oh no. And they walk me down a hall, put me in a room. There's two more security guards, a police officer. And they're like, what was on the sign? What was it? What did it say? Like, did what? you have the camera, your cameraman buddy? Like, did they have um, any shots of it or anything? Or? So I, I, my, my buddy, he said, if I would have reached out to him that, that day, he would have given me the footage and like, I could have put it on Twitter and made it go viral or whatever. But I mean, it, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play that way. Yeah. Um, but yes, they pulled me out of the chair. Like, you know, we could have you banned from the arena and you know, you shouldn't be here with those signs. And I was like, dude, the sign was a quote from the freaking movie. Yeah. And it was a funny history back and forth of Joe Ingalls and Paul George. Like there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, if you keep, you know, keep this up, we're going to kick you out of the arena. You won't be able to watch the games. Like, can I just go back to my seats? So like, let me go back to my seat. Yeah. Um, and so my buddy texted me, he said, I got a memo saying that we can't show the elf, like, unless it's unavoidable. And so like all the camera people like couldn't put me on camera, like couldn't put me on TV and, and everything all because of this interaction with, with Pat Beverly. And so, um, I, uh, made a promise to myself that every time that I play or my, my team plays whatever team Pat Beverly's on right now, it's the Timberwolves. Yeah. I will wear my elf costume to <laughs> yes. the game. Like he'll remember me. There's sure. no, there's no forgetting. Have that. you had any other interactions? Um, since? No. So the game that I went to in Christmas, he was out on COVID protocol. And then the game that he was in town in December, yeah. I was, I had gotten COVID. So I, the one game that we had this season, I couldn't see it, but I, I mean, 
I'll you know fly. What, though, Timberwolves tickets are probably pretty cheap yeah, exactly. right now. I you should probably, probably head out. Courtside. <laughs> yeah, I can sit courtside for like a hundred bucks <laughs> out there. They might actually give you something to go. Sit yeah, there. and so so yeah. So I mean, for me, I'm just gonna have a playful relationship with with uh, Pat Beverly moving forward, and it's going to involve my elf costume. <laughs> so where did the elf come from? And well, this is yeah. I'm taking way too much of your time, but let's end. Oh here. no, you're you're good. Like because you are now literally famous for the elf. phenomenon like you have its own twitter account every espn broadcast talks about it so where did the elf come from so 2009 i i mean i love the movie when it came out i mean who, who doesn't who doesn't love elf of course um if you if you are listening to this podcast and you don't like elf probably turn it off turn it, it off, off right now yeah, yeah. you're not <laughs> you spoiler you alert don't deserve you don't deserve this yeah um <laughs> But, uh, so I loved the movie, picked up an elf costume back in 2009. Uh, we were doing some sub for Santa stuff, secret Santa stuff for work for Aptiv. And so I was like, Hey, it's a stressful time of year for people. Um, I'm going to go do my secret Santa sub for Santa shopping in an elf costume, Walmart, Target, you know, everywhere. But it's um, like a nice elf costume. Yeah. So the, the, the original, legit. the original wasn't. Okay. Um, and it's like kind of upgraded it, you know, since, but honestly, like a kid was crying in an aisle and like in the cart with his mom, like mom was like shushing him. The kid looks up, sees an elf stops crying. Like the mom like laughs and she's like, thank you. You know? And like, yeah. I walk past a group of people and I'm in the next aisle over and I hear like people laughing. Did you see the elf? Why is there someone dressed like an elf at the store? And so like, for me, it was just, it became very, very clear, very quickly that even if I didn't interact with people, them being able to see somebody dressed like an elf, walking around, crossing the street, going through buddy the drive through buddy, the elf. Elf. Yeah, buddy, buddy the elf, the elf. Um, it made a difference in people's lives. And so as I've done it, I've done it kind of on a bigger and bigger scale. And what better place to dress up as an elf than, an, than a live sport event? Yeah. You know, you're 19,000 people in the arena. You get to see them walking in, you get to see them walking out, you get to see them walking across the street. And uh, so I, I, you know, adopted that into end the NBA, uh, 2018 is when we had our first Christmas game, I think mm-hmm. 18, 18, 19 season, mm-hmm. I think. Um, even though it was the late night one. Yeah. It was the one that started at like, yeah, like nine, o'clock, nine at night. o'clock at night. So I wore my elf costume, um, made it on the dance cam and a dance off, um, beat the kid. <laughs> I totally destroyed the kid. Wiped the floor with them. Well, so the, so the kid, so the kid ripped his shirt off and like started swinging over. Oh, his that's head. an easy was, move. And, and so I, you know, I couldn't do that cause my elf costume, but I, but I, I'm bald under my hat, but I, so I pulled my wig and my hat off and like swung it around. So like, you know, I was, I went from like, I went from Joe from, from Seth Rogen to Tom Segura, you know, really, really quickly. Um, and, uh, and so like, you know, then I tracked the kid down and gave, gave the kid, you know, the $250 gift card. Cause I didn't want to take money from the kid. Um, anytime, anytime I've won the contests, or I always find somebody and just give it to them. Cause again, it's part of the, the why I wear the costume. For sure. And so I, I started doing like the December games and this last year, like this last season that just like the season we're in right now, I, I said every game from Thanksgiving on in, in December, I'm going to wear my elf costume. And so I, it was a commitment. Like I had, I picked up two more costumes. That, that um, was one of the funny things they talked about on one of the ESPN games. They're like, I hope he washes that because yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you I, had just posted on social like I have three of them. Yep, I have three of them. It was to it was it was to answer uh, what's her name, um, Doris. Yeah, not Doris. Uh, Holly. Uh, Holly. Holly had made a comment about it, and then Joe. Oh yeah, Joe had made a comment about it too. And I my comment back to Joe was he was wearing the same city edition jerseys he was wearing the night before. I was like, you're wearing the same costume, same costume you were wearing last <laughs> night, you know. Um, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so I started doing that. Um, and it started getting a little more national coverage. So I created a TikTok and an Instagram and a Twitter that I'm going to put kind of more effort into. And, and next year I'm either going to attempt to go to every jazz game, like even the away games uh-huh. during the Christmas season and just show up as, you know, the, the jazz NBA elf, even at the away games, yeah. or I'm going to take it to a bigger extreme and just start up in the Northeast and hit one, one game in one arena a day. You could be like, like a, you could be like 20, the new upgraded. What's that? Uh, Jimmy gold Goldstein. What's yeah. that? Jim Goldstein. Jimmy Goldstein, dude. You could be like the new upgrade. Friends Jim, I'm friends with Jimmy Goldstein. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, you sold, have you sold him some shoes? Um, no, not some, I, no, some I, a jacket. Nope. You he, will he's be pretty set in that department. You will be the next guy. That'll be you. Um, I mean, that's a torch there's, you need to carry. I mean, there's, yeah. there's what's his name on the on the Raptors, the super fan that got the ring uh-huh. when they won a championship. Like, I'd love to be the super fan that gets a ring. Sure, you know when they win. Has the elf thought of? I mean, I'm speaking in the third person now. Has the elf thought of maybe appearing in other sporting events? I'd be open to it. <laughs> um, I think it'd be cool, man. Waste management open. Like, there's just the elf. Because yeah. one thing I've noticed, because this is the first time I met you was today, but because you know I've seen you at jazz games and stuff too, and you have a commitment to the character that you will not <laughs> laugh. <laughs> you are like, no dude, I am all in and no one's going to catch me. I'm not going to break like, you know, the Saturday night live guys and the skits and stuff. Everyone's like, ah. <laughs> you're like, no dude, you are stone cold killer. And I love the commitment. I would love to see it. Like, you know, tiger or, uh, or feet <laughs> oh, yeah. or someone's to get off. And then like in the masters or something right behind him, it's just like the elf. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's, it's like a where's Waldo. Yes. It's like, cause I trade tickets yes. with a lot of the other season ticket holders to place myself in different places around the arena. Yeah. So I'm not in the same seats every night. So people are like, where's the elf? Where's Kyle? And, and honestly the, the staff, even the players, like people are, you know, they thank me at the end of the, like the Christmas season. Like, wait, why aren't you in your elf costume here? Oh, it's not Christmas anymore. Like, that was just bright in my day. I looked forward to seeing the elf when I came to work. I looked forward to seeing the elf more than I looked forward to seeing the the, the players yeah. and the game. I'm like, man, I, I wanted to that see the game. That speaks a lot about you. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a commitment. The tights is like actually a full yellow bodysuit underneath the jacket. Like the jacket's there. Is it hot? Um, hot up top. Not so hot down down below. <laughs> yeah. I feel like JC could get um, you some sort of Lulu yeah, setup I might for that. Get like a Lulu, you know, a Lulu setup. But uh, I mean, there's there's a guy I'm talking to that is gonna you know potentially make jazz colored elf coats like jackets like the jazz jersey colors Ooh. to maybe you know when they're wearing their city edition I could wear a city edition elf costume and you know really taking some things up a notch. Oh my gosh, I had a it. really funny idea. We'll talk about it after having him do something with Trey. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, and I, I mean, then, and then, have you so, met Will Ferrell yet? I have, I have. Okay, uh, no, not not. I've met Trey. I've met our our Will Ferrell. Yeah, <laughs> not, not not the not the Will Ferrell yet. Um, but I I'd, I'd love to end up at a sporting event where he's at and and make that work. And then I think I think the the to, I guess to finish the story, the the coolest thing about this season was uh, when the jazz social media and the jazz bear reached out to me to film they wanted to film a little bit yeah with me and they we recreated with the jazz bear a few like scenes from the elf movie and uh-huh. that showed on the christmas day game yep. uh, aired on espn uh-huh um, like the, it was the syrup the right? syrup right. and the Spaghetti. escalator and the hopping across <laughs> yeah. the street and yeah. and so that showed and then uh it panned like me and the ba- the jazz bear in his elf costume and me and mine at the end and that was kind of that was it was a really good reward yeah. you know to me to now like be friends with the jazz bear and yeah um, a lot of commitment when i was yeah when i was at, at the charlotte hornets game a few weeks back with some of my sales reps in the on the east coast i hit up the bear and said hey i'm here at the jazz game he's all oh, I'm, I'm gonna have hugo come say hi to you and like 
Hugo the Hornet came by and was like, That's cool. Dude, hey, they you know, like, like, all know each other. No, and hang like, out. No, like, they, they legit, like, they have, like, like what does those hangouts they, look like? Right? They, <laughs> like, <laughs> they go out, they go out to each other's arenas for each other's birthdays and they go party. They're like, like yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, hey, let's go over to the stadium and just slide down the stairs together or something, you know? <laughs> it's not like, hey, do you want to watch a game or you want to watch uh, yeah. Netflix? Um, but yeah, no, I, the, the mascot community is a pretty tight knit community and I'm friends with Robin Lopez as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, his, his mascot history yeah. is fun. And so I was, you know, sending him pictures of me with the jazz bear when we were filming our I bits, mean, um, saying, you know, jazz bears making me choose Rolo or, or jazz bear. I'm like, <laughs> what do I pick? I'm a huge Benny the bull fan. Uh, I love Benny the bull. Benny's dude. great. Oh man. Have you, have you ever met Benny? Um, not, not in person, but when he does the popcorn stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, classic. Yep. Anyway, that's so fun. Well, dude, we could keep going for a long time, Yeah. yeah. but thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. And this has been so rad. So everyone follow you. We didn't even get to talk about where your social media handle came from. I still don't know that story. Yeah. Another day. Maybe we'll have to uh, <laughs> we'll do nitty another gritty, one. Nitty gritty 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> so check him out. NBAL. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on, man. It's been fun. Pleasure. Yeah.